Welcome to the reading of the Sabbath School lesson for the third quarter of 2023. Lesson 10 from the series on the book of Ephesians is titled Husbands and Wives Together at the Cross. It's ready for teaching on September 2. Your reader is Percy Harold and the author is John McVeigh. Sabbath afternoon, August 26. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that not only did you give us the church, but you gave us marriage as two institutions of great worth. And as this week we study our lesson, which is titled Husbands and Wives Together at the Cross, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we read these important words, as we read the message that is there for us that we may live in harmony with each other, that we may also be a witness for you in the community. Lord, we pray today for those who are listening in various parts of the world, those living in Africa, in South America, in North America, in Europe and Russia and all the Middle East, Lord, and those who are in war-torn countries, we think particularly today for those in the Horn of Africa uh, and the Middle East uh, and in Ukraine who are suffering in such a way. Lord, we pray that you'll be with them and bless them at this time. But also, wherever we're listening, Lord, I pray that you'll bless us. But especially today, I'd like to pray for Cynthia Catnott, for Mark Sutherland, for Norla Xavier in the Caribbean, for Claudia Vrexis, for Lewis Henry, who has a need to be able to listen rather than read, and Yotsi Kelman in Guyana, and Geraldine Marina in Queensland, Australia, and Wilson Ogonda in Hyderabad in India, and Edward George and Nestor Ramirez. Lord, wherever we're listening, we pray that today and during this week that we will not only know, but we'll be able to share the blessing that we get from studying your word. And as we open your word, we pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us, that as we read this memory text, Ephesians five twenty-five to 27, that we will be blessed. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text is Ephesians five twenty-five to 27. While at a camp meeting recently, I had Helen, one of the attendees, read the memory verse for us. Thank you, Helen. My name is Helen Stubberfield, and I'm from the Foresters Beach Church in New South Wales, and I'm going to read today's memory verse. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Let's read that again, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, Paul builds on the idea of the submission of believers to each other in verse 21. He then offers counsel to Christian wives in verses 22 to 24 and husbands in verses 25 to 32. And he concludes with a distillation of the instruction to both in verse 33. We will read these texts during this week's lesson. In this council, Bible students today may hear the risen Christ addressing our relationships. We are positioned to do so when we understand Ephesians 5, 21 to chapter 6, verse 9 as Paul's way of actualizing the great theme of the letter, unity. But now for the Christian household. While he offers a strong critique of the flawed social structures of the old humanity, As we read in Ephesians 4.22, let's read that, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. He also celebrates a creation of a new humanity in verse 15 of chapter 2. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Embedded within the wider humanity with its flawed social structures. From within these structures, believers demonstrate that a new power, the Holy Spirit, and a new ethic patterned on Christ, have been unleashed, which point toward the ultimate fulfilment of God's plan for his people and the world. And these texts include Ephesians 2.22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, and Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might, through his Spirit in the inner man, and Ephesians 6, verses 17 and 18, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And Ephesians 4 Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by 
which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And verse 24, And that ye put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. And verses 25 to 32, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And chapter 5 Verse 2, And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And verse 10, Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And verse 17 reads, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And verses 21 to 33. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And we'll unpack the real meaning of these texts throughout this week's lesson. Sunday, August 27, Councils to Christian Wives. 
Paul begins with a hinge passage, Ephesians 5.21, connecting Ephesians 5.1-20 and Ephesians 5.22-33, in which he advocates for church members to submit to each other. Compare this to Mark 10.42-45. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, for whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And Romans 12 verse 10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honour giving preference to one another. And Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Believers are to do so out of reverence for Christ, we read in Ephesians 5.21. The first of several times, Paul will identify the relationship with Christ as the most important and defining one for believers. What does Paul mean by exhorting church members to submit to each other? How are we to understand this idea? Ephesians 5.21 Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Paul also invites Christian wives to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord in the following verse clarifying that he is discussing the submission of wives to their respective husbands. We'll also look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. When Paul says wives are to do so as to the Lord, does he mean a wife is to submit to her husband as though he were Christ? Or instead, does he mean that Christ is the truest and highest focus of her submission? In view of Ephesians 6 verse 7, where slaves are asked to serve as to the Lord and not to men, and Colossians 3.18, where wives are asked to submit to the husbands as is fitting in the Lord, the latter view is to be preferred. Wives are themselves believers who must ultimately honour Christ over their husbands. In both Colossians and Ephesians, Christ and only Christ is identified as the head of the church, which is his body. As we read in Ephesians 1.22 and Ephesians 5.23 and Colossians 1.18. Christ is the head of the church and he is the saviour of the body, it says in Ephesians 5.23. By analogy, the husband is the head of the wife. With the church's faithfulness to Christ serving as a model for the wife's loyalty to her husband. 
The passage presumes a loving, caring marriage and not a dysfunctional one. This verse should not be interpreted to allow any form of domestic abuse. And so to finish today, in light of what we've just read, why is this following counsel so important to remember? It comes from Ellen G. White from the Adventist Home, page 117. If the husband is a coarse, rough, boisterous, egotistical, harsh and overbearing man, let him never utter the word that the husband is the head of the wife and that she must submit to him in everything. For he is not the Lord, he is not the husband in the true significance of the term. Monday, August 28, The Church as the Bride of Christ, Part 1. Compare Ephesians 5, 25-27 and verse 29 with the foundling story of Ezekiel in chapter 16, verses 1-14. to What elements of that story does Paul reflect in his own sketch? Ephesians 5, 25-27, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And then verse 29, For no one ever ate at his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does, the church. And now, Ezekiel 16, verses 1 to 14, Again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God of Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out into the open field, when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, Live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, Live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. 
Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was like a fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendour which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. As Paul in Ephesians five twenty-five to 27 and verse 29 shapes his wedding marriage metaphor for the church and its relationship with Christ, he draws creatively on the customs and roles of an ancient wedding. In relationship to the church as bride, Christ is the divine bridegroom who, one, loves the church as bride, as we saw in verse 25. We must never forget that this is heart work for Jesus. He loves us. Two, gives himself as the bride price. In the context of ancient wedding arrangements, the bridegroom would purchase the bride with the bride price, which was usually a large sum of money and valuables, so large that ancient village economies depended upon the custom. Christ pays the ultimate price for the church as his bride, since he gave himself for her, we read in verse 25. In the Incarnation and at the cross, he gives himself as the bride price. 3. Bathes his bride. The preparation of the bride was an important part of the ancient wedding festivities. As it is also true today, it was the bridesmaids and female relatives of the bride who prepared her for the ceremony. Paul, though, imagines the divine bridegroom preparing his bride for the wedding. It is he who sanctifies and cleanses her by the washing of water, as it says in verse 26, a probable reference to baptism. And four, speaks the word of promise. This cleansing is performed with the word in verse 26, pointing to the word of promise that the divine bridegroom speaks to his bride, perhaps in the context of the betrothal ceremony, when noting God's promises to believers at the time of their conversion. Well, let's just have a look at Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we, who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And then Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God." not of works, lest any one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Betrothal was the ancient version of modern engagement, but was a much more serious set of negotiations, which included a written agreement about the bride price from the husband, and the dowry assets the bride would bring to the marriage from her family. 5. He prepares and adorns the bride. When the bride is formally presented to her groom, she is fabulously beautiful, appearing in flawless splendour, as we read in verse 27. Let's read it again that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Christ not only bathes the bride, he prepares and adorns her as well. And so to finish today, how do these verses help us understand the way Christ feels about us? Why should we find this so comforting? Tuesday, August 29, The Church as the Bride of Christ, Part 2. How does Paul use elements of the ancient wedding in appealing to Christians in Corinth? When does the presentation occur? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 to 4. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, 
you may well put up with it. Using one final element of the ancient wedding in Ephesians 5, 25-27, Paul portrays Christ as the one who presents the bride to himself. In ancient times, the bride would be given away by the best man, best men, or her father, never by her groom. Here, though, Paul imagines Jesus presenting the church as bride to himself. Paul uses marriage customs and roles to highlight Christ's relationship to the church in an unfolding chronological pattern. One, betrothal. Christ offered himself up for the church as bride price and so became betrothed to her. We read about that yesterday in Ephesians 5.25. Two, preparation for the wedding ceremony. The attentions of the bridegroom continue in his present efforts to sanctify and cleanse the bride. We read that in verse 26. 3. The wedding ceremony itself. Christ's present attentions are in view of the presentation of the bride at the wedding, as in verse 27. This last element looks to the grand wedding celebration at his return when Christ, the bridegroom, will come to claim the church as bride and present her to himself, as you read in verse 27. And once again, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then verse 28, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Ancient weddings often began with a nighttime parade. We read about that in Matthew 25, 1-13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are rowing out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. 
The groom and his entourage would gather at the groom's home, the couple's new home, and, with grand ceremony, begin a procession, lit by torches and accompanied by joyful, lilting music and great rejoicing, the crowd jostles toward the home of the father of the bride. Gathering up the bride there, or meeting the bride's own procession on the way, the parade would convey the couple to their new home, where the guests would settle into a week-long feast, culminating in the wedding ceremony, when the bride would be presented to the groom. When Paul portrays Christ presenting the church to himself, he alludes to this grand parade and to the moment of presentation. In doing so, he provides a moving portrait of Christ's return as a future wedding ceremony, when the long betrothal between Christ and his church is complete, and the wedding celebrated. And so to finish today, what message should we take for ourselves from all this positive, happy and hopeful imagery? Wednesday, August 30. Love your wife as you do yourself. What new argument does Paul use to encourage husbands to practice tender love toward their wives? We read Ephesians 5, 28 to 30. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Paul's rules for the Christian household in Ephesians 5:21 through to chapter 6, verse 9, disclose a challenging social context. In Ephesians 5:28 to 30, which we've just read, Paul addresses husbands who, following the all-too-frequent pattern of the time, may choose to hate their own flesh, abusing and beating their wives. In the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day, the legal power of the father of the family, Latin pater familias, was very broad. He could punish harshly or even kill his wife, children, and slaves, and be within his legal rights, though exercising such power in extreme ways was increasingly constrained by public opinion. In Ephesians 5, 25-27, Paul has detailed the ultimate example of love, Christ's love for the church offering a drastically different model for husbands than the usual one. Now, before laying out a new argument, he points again to that great example— asking Christian husbands to respond in the same way, in verse 28, as Jesus, who gave himself up for his bride, the church, and attends to her every needs. Paul challenges Christian husbands to turn from the expected practices of their time and seek to match Christ's tender love. In Ephesians 5, 28, to 30, Paul adds a new rationale to support the love of Christian husbands for their wives. Self-love. 
Paul offers a truism. No one ever hated his own flesh, at least no one thinking clearly. Husbands don't harm themselves or beat up on their own bodies. Instead, they nourish and cherish them, we read in verse 29. In a bid to eliminate harshness and violence against Christian wives, Paul invites the Christian husband to identify with his wife. You are so much one with your wife, Paul argues, that to harm her is nothing short of inflicting self-harm. And most people in their right minds don't do that. Returning to the example of Jesus, Paul argues that Christ is himself practicing tender self-care in cherishing believers who are his body in verses 29 and 30. Model your behaviour towards your wife, says Paul, on the way you treat yourself and ultimately on the way Christ treats you. And so to finish today, Paul cites the example of Jesus to both wives and husbands. What can you learn from Jesus about loving those in your own family circle? Thursday, August 31, The One Flesh Model of Marriage Study the creation narrative of Genesis 2, 15-25. What happens in the story before the statement concerning a husband and wife being one flesh in verse 24? Let's start at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh in its place, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife and were not ashamed. A key to applying Paul's counsel to wives and husbands is to see his citation of Genesis 2.24 in Ephesians 5.31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, as the culmination of it. As he meditates on the creation story of Genesis, 
Paul considers the needs of Christian congregations and the health of family relationships within them. He hears, in Genesis 2.24, a message that echoes down through time. By divine design, marriage is intended to be a one-flesh relationship with sexual unity mirrored in emotional and spiritual unity, and emotional and spiritual unity bringing meaning to the sexual relationship. Note that in choosing Genesis 2.24, Paul selects a statement about marriage made before the fall and applies it to the relationships between Christian husbands and wives. In our distinctly post-fall world, rampant exploitation of the sexual relationship between a man and a woman reveals how deeply entrenched in modern cultures is the idea that the sexual union represents subjugation of the woman. Paul argues that the sexual relationship, as reflected in Genesis, is not one of subjugation, but of union. It does not symbolise or actualise the dominance of the male, but the union of husband and wife, so much so that they are one flesh. We may look to both Ephesians 5, 21-33 and Genesis 2, 24 then for an important countercultural and corrective theology of marriage and sexuality. In the same context, Paul, in the next verse, talks about a profound mystery in verse 32. This includes both sides of the double metaphor Paul has been discussing. Christian marriage, understood in the light of Christ's relationships to his church in Ephesians 5.32, and Christ's relationship with his church, understood in the light of Christian marriage in the same verse. Christian marriage is elevated by comparing it to the relationship between Christ and the church. In addition, by thinking of the church's relationship to Christ through the lens of a caring Christian marriage, believers gain new clarity about their shared relationship to Christ. And so to finish the day, in what ways does Ephesians 5.33 serve as a concise summary of Paul's counsel in Ephesians 5.21-32? Let's read that verse, Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If married... How can you seek to more fully implement these principles in your marriage? And now it's time for Inside Story with Sibylla. Thank you, Sibylla. Visiting Inmates in Spain by Gabriel Diaz Working with inmates is my passion. I have participated in prison ministry everywhere that I have served as a pastor, first in my homeland of Colombia and now in Spain. Over the past two decades, I have visited four prisons in Spain, including a maximum security prison for women in the Spanish capital, Madrid. It took three years of talks with prison officials to gain access to this prison of 400 women. 
Prison authorities finally allowed me to enter the prison for the first time in 2019 and begin leading a worship service from 5.30pm to 7pm every Thursday. Only one woman showed up for the first worship service, but she was very eager and willing to listen to me. I'm very happy to meet you, I told the woman. It fills me with joy to come here, but we need to pray to meet with even more people. We prayed to God to bring more people to our Thursday meetings. Then I arrived at the fourth meeting. Ten women were waiting for me. Today, 60 women attend the meetings every week. They range in age from 22 to about 70. Our worship program is divided into three parts, songs and prayer, a time for women to share their personal testimonies called Name Your Miracle and Bible Study. When I speak to them, I always remind them that God is their Father in heaven. God sees you as his daughters, I say. In all my years of serving as a pastor, I have never witnessed worship and praise like this in the prison. The worship and praise are intense. The women are so sincere and honest in their prayers. Sometimes I long for our Thursday meetings even more than Sabbath meetings at church. Our time together is short, so each woman can write her personal testimony on a piece of paper, bring it to the meeting and hand it to me at the end. The letters contain words of praise about how God is changing their lives. I have a high stack of letters now. A group of church members also visit with the women and give them Bible studies on weekends. They can only visit with the woman behind glass. They are not allowed inside as I am. But together we are seeing fruit. Several women have given their lives to Jesus and we also have established contact with their relatives. This mission story illustrates mission objective number two of the Seventh-day Adventist Church's I Will Go strategic plan to strengthen and diversify Adventist outreach among unreached and underreached people groups. For more information, go to the website iwillgo2020.org. Greetings, Sabbath School friends around the world. My name is Emma Garrick, a final year nursing student at Avondale University in Coorumbong, Australia. You have been listening to my grandfather, Percy Harold, reading the text of the Adult Bible Study Guide with this week's Sabbath School lesson. He has been doing this for free since 1996, long before I was born. Initially read as eyes for the visually impaired through Christian services for the blind in Australia and New Zealand, it became a podcast in July 2007, and so became available to anyone around the world. In 2021, Pa's podcast became the reading podcast for the official General Conference Sabbath School app, with daily recordings of each day of the lesson. The podcasts of the reading of the Sabbath School lessons are available from Hope Channel Australia, primarily on SoundCloud, and thence on multiple podcast rebroadcasters, including Apple iTunes. For several years, it has also been available in YouTube format, with the voice of my grandfather syncing in time with the scrolling of the text of the lesson, including all the reference texts. And for the visually impaired in the North American division, it is available on CD from Christian Record Services out of Nebraska. Hope Channel Germany distributes it to the blind in Europe. You are over one of 40,000 who listen every week around the globe. Tell your friends to look up my grandfather on the internet. It is simple. Just search for Dr. Percy Harold, select the site you want to listen to, make it a favourite on your device, and be able to listen again anytime you like. But downloading the General Conference Sabbath School app is a sure way to listen daily. 
That is the one with the blue rectangular icon, with a stylized globe and three angels superimposed. And, as my grandfather would say each week, Remember, God is always faithful.